You're listening to the podcast for Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Buy tickets to upcoming live events in San Francisco at inforumsf.org. Want even more Inforum? Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as InforumSF. What's up, San Francisco? Y'all can do better than that. We're on the radio. What's up, San Francisco? So, hello and welcome to tonight's program with Inforum at the Commonwealth Club. My name is Alicia Garza. I am the principal of the Black Futures Lab, the co-founder of the Black Lives Matter Global Network, and a new contributing editor at Marie Claire. (laughs) And tonight, I am so excited, so, so excited, for what is going to be an excellent conversation with three very special guests. Oscar-nominated and Golden Globe-winning actress, Taraji P. Henson. (laughs) Director, Robin Bissell. And producer, Dominique Telson. Tonight, we're going to be discussing their new film, The Best of Enemies which tells the true story of civil rights activist Anne Atwater and her unlikely friendship with KKK member C.P. Ellis in 1971, Durham, North Carolina. We got a lot to talk about. I got to see the movie last night. It's been on my mind all day. So we got a lot to say. But tonight we want to talk about Anne's incredible legacy. We want to talk about the role that Anne and other women like her have played in creating and advancing an agenda for civil rights. And we also want to talk about the immense power of building common ground with one another. But honestly, you know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about how the themes from the movie apply today, because there was a lot of a lot of things in there that I thought really made sense to put into context in terms of our kind of political climate. So are you all ready? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. So can, can we have this conversation? I saw the movie last night. It was dope. Excellent. Good. It was excellent. And, um, you know... I think the way that people are going to describe this movie is a story about redemption. They're going to talk about it as a movie that talks about why we need to come together across race and across class in order to kind of make a better country. I saw a lot of other themes in there. So I'd love to hear from you all. How do you want people to describe this movie? What do you want them to feel? One thing that struck me was I actually thought that there were powerful themes in there about why white people need to divest from white power. Y'all quiet. (laughs) Why y'all quiet? I thought that was powerful. And I also saw in there, and you were so excellent. There's a story about black women and how we've been carrying this country on our backs. And so I'd love to just hear from you. What, What do you want people to see and feel in this movie? Oh, I'll start, I guess. Um, 
I mean, like you said, I think there are a lot of themes, right? Um, the rise in hateful rhetoric, white nationalism, violence, all that stuff. And it seems to be emboldened by our leaders. Um, and so, you know, it was what was amazing about Ann Atwater. It wasn't her responsibility to get to this man's heart, right? Uh, but she did it, right? She took down her own barriers and said, you know what? I, I now see him as at least a human being, not a good human being yet, but a human being that I can get to. And I think that, um, the, one of the, you know, we've been talking about this for weeks, the three of us and, and with our other filmmakers and, and, you know, the thing that keeps resonating is that in this two dimensional world, we don't see each other anymore. We don't listen. You know, somebody asked me, what changed about me in the making of the film was I became a better listener. You know, when you're a writer, you're like in this like isolated bubble, right? I know what I, I know what to do, you know, and then you direct and then you need everybody and you become a better listener. We don't listen to one another, you know? Um, and, and that's just what a charrette is, which is what happened to these people. They were forced to sit together for two weeks and yeah, they're going to argue. Yeah. They're going to butt heads, but they're sitting there. They're looking at each other, right? They become less aggressive. They start hearing and developing empathy for one another, right? It doesn't happen now. It doesn't happen today. It doesn't mean it can't. It's just not. Mm -hmm. So I, for me, it's just, you know, I'm guilty of it every day. I, I read something on Twitter. I see somebody on TV, and I, I, I'm so angry. But maybe if I knew that person, I wouldn't be as angry. We could talk about it, you know, so... Mm -hmm. Dominique, how about you? What do you want people to take from this film? Um, I want people to take from this film... I, I, first of all, I want people to feel empowered. I mean, this woman, Anne Atwater, had nothing um, except her mouth, <laughs> um, which she used in Durham. And uh, we actually screened the film in Durham in front of, you know, uh, Anne Atwater's family and some of C.P. Ellis's family. And what I took away from that was that now this, the, their children and their grandchildren, this, I didn't see hate there. You know, CP's children are, uh, and grandchildren are one of my biggest supporters now. And they came to the set and they, and they, they kind of embraced the film. They embraced Anne's family. And, and I, I came away with um, hope and the belief that there is a chance. Maybe if we actually stood in front of the other person and actually had a real conversation, maybe there's a chance that we can change people's minds. This this woman took the leader of a KKK group and changed the entire trajectory of his life and his children's lives and his great grandchildren, you know, children's children's lives. And I, I feel like that that's possible. It wasn't easy. You know, it wasn't easy. She had to really change her own ways to be able to do it. But I, I'm empowered by that, and I hope that that's what people take away from it. Excellent. I just want people to take away um, that love wins. It sounds as, as simple, but if hate ever wins, it will be the destruction of man as we know it. And Anne was able to tap into her unconditional Christian, all-inclusive love, and that is the only way she was able to get through that man's hateful heart. The only way. Mm -hmm. Yo, that's the realist. So let's dive in because I saw this movie last night and I saw it with young people and 
all different races, backgrounds, etc. And I was wondering about what our common experience was in that theater, because this is representing a time that we're not in anymore, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Did I say that clear. out loud? <laughs> it's not 1971. Right. Yeah. Right? And for some of the young people in the room, right, to hear and to see clan memorabilia and to see clan meetings, that was a new that was a new experience for them. I'm I guess the thing that I'm grappling with though is there are parallels to today. One hundred percent. And I'd love to just talk with you all about kind of the way that the clan was portrayed. Mm-hmm the way that there were some really kind of stark class differences going on there, right, amongst some of the folk. And I guess there's a question in there for me about what can we understand about white nationalism, white power in this moment, as it relates to belonging, yeah. as it relates to people feeling like they need to belong? What do we, what do we need to know about that? I mean, when I, you know, first decided to dive into this movie, I had a lot to learn, right? I mean, the movie itself, the story of Ann Atwater and CPL, you know, sparked my imagination. I said, wow, this could be both entertaining and meaningful, which is rare for a filmmaker to find. Um, And then when I started talking with Ann, who I was fortunate enough to know for three years before she passed on, and Bill Riddick, I started getting their perspective, which I needed, you know, because I, I don't presume to know what it's like to be black in America. And so they really started filling out things for me and talking about CP and their perspective of CP. And they had a healthy perspective of him. And, you know, white nationalism is driven, I believe, mostly by leaders who have a mouthpiece, right? And they can tap into pain people are feeling and manipulate them to point their fingers, right? And for CP, what was unique about him to me, and then I guess I found out maybe it was not as unique, is he had pain. He he says, uh, look, I somebody told me I was supposed to go to church and work and everything would be fine. Well, it wasn't fine. So he was a nobody, right? And then he got asked to join this group with hoods and fire and oh my God, right? And he got taken by it and he felt like somebody and then he became president and oh my gosh, I'm this little old nobody, right? And so it is something about belonging. Taraji talks about it, about gangs and all kinds of stuff. And um, there is a sense of that. And I think a large portion of the people today who are in these groups are potentially parallel to that. They want to belong. They want to feel like somebody. And they're preyed upon by people in power. And and there you saw, like you said, class difference, right? Uh, the white power structure love that. They, they're, they're not going to be seen with the Klan, but they're glad the Klan is doing everything they, they can. Right? So that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. You know, Anne is also creating a sense of belonging. In her activist work, she is um, not only fighting for better conditions, but she is creating a sense for people, I think, that their voice matters, that their presence matters. Mm -hmm. I remember there's this one scene where she's in the office and somebody's trying to flake on the meeting. And she's like, let me tell you something. You're not going to flake on this meeting. I've been a single mom. I know how this goes. And also, we need you in order to build the kind of community that we deserve. Mm -hmm. Taraji, can you talk a little bit about 
What's so special about Anne and her activism and the way she was able to create that kind of community? And what does that say about the work that black women have been doing forever? Um, she was the selfless woman. Um, she was just a mother in her own life and a mother of a community. And um, she was a woman who believed in justice. And she didn't fare well with bullies. Um, she... You know how people go, you know, that saying that my bark is really loud, but she would bark and she would bite. (laughs) Um, (laughs) She just um, wouldn't back down. Um, I I liked when I physicalized her, I liked to, I thought of her as like when she got moving like a locomotive. And if you got in her way, she would steamroll you. (laughs) But that's what happens when people are oppressed and pushed up and backed into a corner. You come out swinging. And enough was enough. She just got tired of seeing um, her community being treated unfairly. And for what? Like, why? You know, and as adults, if we're not leaving this world in a better condition than we found it for our children, then what are we doing? But that spilled over from just her kids. It spilled over into her community. And that's just what you find in most women, nurturing women. Like, I grew up, I'm wired, like, and I'm not an activist or a political person. I know right from wrong, and I know when somebody's being wronged. And I was always a kid. If someone was being excluded, I would include them. Come play with us, you know. Or if someone was being bullied, I would stand up to the bully. You know, that's just how I'm wired. So I understand her need to um, make the world a better place for everybody because it's kind of selfish if everything you got everything and and other people don't. Like that's not living. And I don't think that's why we're meant to be here on this earth for one group of people to have everything and everyone else suffers. That's I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. And I think God is very clever in making us all look different. And I think God is very clever in making us come from all different backgrounds. And I think that is our job, our mission as humans to figure it out and get along. Mm-hmm. And and he gave us the greatest gift of all is love, and it's absolutely free. That's right. <laughs> and Anne has a lot of love in this movie. Oh, she has love in her heart for the people that hate her. That's huge. I mean, it took her a minute to tap into that. But, I mean, it literally, if you're going to call yourself a Christian... I mean, you got to understand how God's love works, mm-hmm. and it's all-inclusive, and it's unconditional, mm-hmm. and that means loving your enemy. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh. Hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's hard. <laughs> Can we talk about this black renaissance that we're in right now, though? Because there are incredible black women like you who are in front of the camera killing it. And then there's more and more black women behind the camera and like writing the scripts and telling our stories in ways that are more nuanced and complex. So can you just, Dominique, tell me a little bit about how you're feeling about this moment as somebody who got to kind of tell this story in a way that is actually really different than they've been told before. Mm-hmm. I feel like I want to break into like a song. It's been a long time. <laughs> Please. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been in the, in the, business of producing for almost 20 years um but you know you wouldn't really know i was at a network before but i feel like now maybe maybe 
I, I don't know if the, the time in the business, but you know, I have the strength of my convictions to be able to stand up in a room to to anyone and say. I, I, we need to make this movie. This movie is important. Look at this character. No, it's going to do well. Push it, push it, push it. I can't do it by myself. It takes a village. But at least I'm one voice that can be, that's like in a room that I can have the conversation. It has to start with a great story. Robin, Robin found a great idea and wrote a great script. And then I got the script and I relay. Then I, I took that, that script and said, we have to make this movie. I flew to Atlanta to our our funder and said we need to make this movie and I looked him in the eye and I have to tell you we were in Georgia and who's a white man who's a white man we need each other we need each other yeah and I and I and I was in the middle of my this is what I do I pitch so I was in the middle of my pitch and at one moment I, I told him this later I looked at him and I went oh this is Georgia and you are Caucasian and maybe maybe you you and then I just said too late now and I just kept going <laughs> <laughs> and he uh, and so but he said he said yes in the room but even then that wasn't enough Robin knows then finally the gift of Miss Taraji P. Henson who by the way he was a big fan of Empire who knew <laughs> so um, he's a white Christian man he's a white Christian big-time man big time Christian yeah. but an inclusive Christian he's a, the right kind of but he, he's a real Christian in the heart and and then um, you know Taraji you know Taraji Taraji said yes and then you know, after that, you're, you're trying to find the next piece. And then Sam Rockwell said, There's said momentum yes. then. It's just like you just, but it's, it's, a, it's a battle. So I first read the script in 2015. It's now 2019. Wow. So I, I shouldn't be talking about uh, diversity or women uh, becoming directors, but I am going to tell you something. <laughs> so, you know, I started producing in the, in the late 90s and times were then, right? And since I've become a writer-director, which is very recently... So once, you know, we, this movie's been done over a year. So people have seen the movie and I start, okay, now I can go out and look for other things to do. And, you know, these kind of stories get me, you know, and, and a couple times, which wouldn't have happened when I first started, I had my agent or my manager call and they come back to me and say, no, they're looking for an African-American director. Like two or three times. Another time my agent called me and said that there was a, I, it might have been Reese Witherspoon, although I know Reese. I don't remember who it was. Had called about Robin Bissell, their agent, about directing a, a, a story about a female uh, lawyer. And because I hadn't produced I don't get my picture taken a lot, they thought Robin Bissell was a girl. <laughs> and yeah, and, but they had read the script and heard the movie was good, the best of enemies. And so my agent called back and said, Yeah, he'd love to read the script. And they said, Oh, he? No. <laughs> and I'm telling you, so it was a bummer. But that wouldn't happen ten years ago, yeah. and so it is happening. And I'm, you know, I'm out of work because of it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so look, this movie is set in Durham, North Carolina, in 1971, and there's a lot of stereotypes out there about the South, a lot of them. And Taraji, I know you have family who lives in the South. What are the stereotypes that you think are being broken with this movie? Is that is what we saw in the film how it was and how it is now? It's still kind of like that. My okay. grandmother lived in. <laughs> I mean, you know, the South likes the way they do things down in the South. I mean, yeah, there's been progress, but um, my grandmother still lives in Scotland Neck, North Carolina, and it is a clear division of the haves and have-nots, and it's the railroad track. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's as clear as it was back in the 70s mm-hmm. when I was going down there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there is a barbecue stand that used to be owned by a white family, and there is a faint layer of paint where it says the colored entrance. Like, paint that shit. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, you know what I mean? You know, so, I mean, you know, have they changed? Like, you know? I'm hoping things change, but when I go to see my grandmother, the town looks the same. Mm-hmm. You know, you still get the same stairs when you go in the stores, you know, like you're going to steal something. I mean, I've been followed around in stores before, and then I drop my hood, and they're like, oh, oh, oh. and then it's like, I don't even want to shop here now. Right. You know, so as much as, as things have changed, they still kind of remain the same. That's why we still need to make movies like this. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're all scratching our head like, it's 2019. It's still right, happening. It's still yeah, happening, it's still right? happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of the stereotypes that people have about the South is that people are content mm-hmm. with it being that way forever. Mm-hmm. And if that was true, there wouldn't be any Ann Atwaters. Right. So what should we know about and I'm curious specifically about the power of black women. Mm-hmm. What should we know about the roles that black women have played and play to make sure that the South progresses? And what does that mean for the rest of the country? Because I, I, I personally, I'll just out myself and say, I think the South is going to lead the rest of the country when it comes to what change looks like. And if change doesn't happen in the South, I don't think it's going to happen anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So... What do we need to know about how people are moving in the South? Black women like Ann Atwater leading kind of initiatives to change what's going on. Are there still women like Ann Atwater in places like Durham? That's a good question. I don't spend a lot of time in Durham. So I, I really, I, I don't, I wouldn't know. Um, but what I do know is that, um, you know, it takes balls to do what Ann did and, you know, there somebody did this uh, statistic about eighty percent of people are followers, and then there's that like mm-hmm. small twenty percent that are bold enough to be Anne mm-hmm. or CP in that you know instance to be so bold to make a change in front of the very people <laughs> that you shouldn't be ripping that card up in front of. Like he risked his life, he risked his family's life, um, and risked her life every day. It amazes me she wasn't strange fruit hanging from a tree. I guess she was that loud. She scared so many people. <laughs> she would use her hands. But, um, you know, I don't know. I can't really speak on it because I, I'm a city girl. I know my mouth is big and I and what I stand for <laughs> gets me in trouble sometimes. But Mine too. Mine too and me too. <laughs> Let's talk about charrettes. I had never heard of a charrette. Me either. Me either. <laughs> what are charrettes <laughs> and where where did that come from and how was a black man leading charrettes in 1971 and how did you know what I'm saying and how how did this black man get the clan to sit down in a charrette <laughs> good question good, yes a lot of good questions so Bill Rick is a singular man and if you met him you'd understand he he has this power but he's calm Right. He commands respect almost when you're with him. Um, 
So a charrette derives, it's a French term, it derives from architecture. And so since I learned about this, people would say, hey, what's your movie you're making? And I'd say, and if they were from architecture, they'd go, oh, I know what a charrette is. And i go, you do? <laughs> and so they used to have, when they were planning buildings or communities in France, if there was an issue or arguments, they'd stick people together from both sides of the arguments. And the leaders from both sides of this argument and make them hash it out. Mm -hmm. So Bill Riddick got wind of this in the late 60s and said, oh, what else could we use this for? And he went and he had a few charrettes. And the last one before Durham was in York, Pennsylvania. Of course, I'm from Pennsylvania, suburbs. I never knew there was problems in York, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Apparently there were. Um, so the, the thing that you do in a charrette is you appeal to, I think Bill is smart enough to appeal a little to the ego. Uh -huh. Hey, you represent so many people in this town. Mm -hmm. You should be the voice. Come on. And then same with the other side, right? And in this case, uh, CP and Ann both said yes for different reasons, clearly. CP said it because the white power structure was saying, yeah, 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 mm -hmm. go. Mm -hmm. Disrupt it. It won't be successful, mm -hmm. right? He didn't want to do that. He's not going to sit with Ann Atwater. She at first was going to say no. She says she, says she said no at first. And then she thought, oh, wait a minute, they're going to think I'm afraid of this fucking cracker. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and so she said, yes. So Bill, you know what I mean? He let them think it was their own idea in a way. And that's, that's how he did it. But so CP started at, he didn't come to work it out. You know what I mean? It was Ann that changed that in him. So that's what a shred is. That's how he did it. Mm -hmm. That's wild. And we could use it every day in this country. Yes. Listen, it reminds me of restorative justice circles. Y'all heard of restorative justice circles? Mm -hmm. These are practices that are based in indigenous nations and traditions where when someone has caused harm, mm -hmm. right, you're bringing the people who caused harm and the people who experienced the harm together, mm -hmm. not to fix it. It's not to fix it. It's to actually make sure that people are heard. Mm -hmm. It's also to make sure that you can communicate across these barriers, right? And try to figure out if you can at least acknowledge mm -hmm. that harm has been done. And in, there's something in that acknowledgement that like opens a heart, mm -hmm. right? And I was you know, with my partner last night, and we were looking for those, those pieces. And we saw a little bit of that in the movie, right? We saw um, you know, the black side was like, well, we, if we're going to get something, it's, it's gospel music, mm -hmm. right? We're going to end the meeting with gospel and then the other ones wanted, you know, their clan display. Mm -hmm. And in that, you see hearts opening in the weirdest of places. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? It's, it's one of my um, it's one of my favorite um, scenes of Bill Riddick, because when he says when when CP says that to Bill and Bill's trying to be kind of the mediator yeah. and he's really calm and, you know, strong, et cetera. But when you when you look at his face He's not having he, it. He, he, he doesn't. He, he's like swallowing mm -hmm. it. But you he know, wasn't ready for that. He, he wasn't. He wasn't ready for that. But it's, so there was so much. Um, and the actor who played him, Babu Sise, he's actually British. You wouldn't know it because he he worked on his accent uh, with or with the dialect coach. But and and so some people say they're not as familiar with what goes on in the states. But he he, you could see him kind of having to swallow that. And um, you know, it's a it, it's a great scene. But he knew that he had to do that because he had to. He had to listen to CP in order for change to be able to come. And then he had to get to Anne and say, Anne, 
you, I'm going to keep that guy here talking for as long as I can. And he had to get her to Bill Riddick told us I couldn't stand either one of them. They were both like, you know, just she was roughhouse Annie and he was whatever he was. And um, but but he was, you know, he had the, the, the presence of mind to know that there was a there was a greater goal. Mm-hmm. He was brilliant at leveling the playing field, not making it look one sided. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way you were going to gain the trust of either side. Mm-hmm. Even though it was clearly one side. I mean, there's a right side, but Bill was smart enough, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Because he was the black man, he couldn't look one-sided. Right. Or it was just going to fall to pieces. That's right. What do you think Anne and CP would want us to know about how their story relates to us today? He spent three years with Anne. I never got a chance to meet her. She passed away before... Um, Before we got the movie. Well, I'll tell you what she said about her experience and his, because they did remain friends for 30 years. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's this lovely picture. He had Alzheimer's and and he died in 2005. But in 2004, there's this picture of Anne in the in the uh, nursing home holding his hand, had his face in her hands, trying to get him to recognize her. It is beautiful. And she delivered the eulogy at his funeral. Um, what she told me, which will always stick with me about CP, was she was proud of him because he stopped caring about being right and just wanted to make sure he got it right, or some words to those effect. Yeah. I think so many people today, they're going to stand, uh, no, I'm not changing my mind, you know, and even if they feel it, they're not going to admit it, and at least he admitted it, right? Um, for Anne, and the only thing I know is having... When I first got to Durham, there was all these young people in town who would help her. She was in a nursing home because she hurt her knee, and then they finally got her home. But there, every time I went there, there was a different young person from Duke or from your – they're all helping her. And they all called her Grandma Ann. And, and she came a long way from Rough House Annie. And that charrette was part of it because she helped so many people individually better their lives. And the, that's what she did. I mean, with Operation Breakthrough, it just – better to get a higher standard of living. Mm-hmm. And then she zoomed out a little bit and started and it should be a bigger difference, both personally, but also on a bigger stage. And I think she was really proud of that. Mm-hmm. And she when was it, really excited that Taraji was going to play her. Yeah, I know, that's right. I said that cookie lady playing me. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Dominique, did you want to throw in on this question? I was going to throw something in, but a cookie lady got me thrown off. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. You're listening to a podcast of Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Support our podcast and find out about upcoming live events in San Francisco at inforumsf.org. Okay. I want to go back to this white power thing. I'm sorry. I'm obsessed with it. The reason I'm obsessed with it is because we have like this wave of white nationalism sweeping the country. Uh, It's like racial terror, religious terror. Right. And the thing is, in this movie, you see the way that these groups use violence in order to keep people from being active. Right. And so when we are in this moment, right, where we have huge demographic change, Mm -hmm. okay, we're in this moment where people are fighting to protect the rights that we have left and then also trying to expand those rights. Mm -hmm. And then this wave of terror that I think keeps sweeping the nation is really designed, I think, to keep people from fighting and feeling like they can fight. 
Now, Anne was not scared of nobody, and you can tell that in the film. She was, I was struck by how she was not scared of the Klan. She was like, listen, you don't scare me. I'm not tripping on you. And in fact, if you get in my way, it's going to be a problem. She's going to cut your neck off. She was really going to do it. <laughs> That's not true for a lot of us, right? I mean, people can't pray without being afraid. Um, you know, literally just this weekend, I heard of a story here in the Bay Area where the Us movie, uh, three black women got beat up. Oh, I didn't. By a white couple. And the police said, well, both y'all were acting nuts. So, I mean, this woman has a black eye and all these things. In the theater? In the theater in San Leandro. <laughs> now, look, I thought the Bay Area, I mean, we, we don't play that. So I don't know what happened there. But I, I guess what I was struck by and why I want to keep talking about white power and white violence is because it's actually changing the way that people are governing and it's intended to do that in a lot of ways. And so here's my question. I want to talk about the film and how, you know, when CP decided that he wasn't with the Klan anymore, he was also subject to that same violence. Uh, the the gentleman who owned the hardware store where he was employing all black people, he didn't seem to, um, he was like, look, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm trying to draw a parallel here to like, for white folks in the audience or white folks that are listening that are like, I'm not down with that, but I'm also scared. I'm scared to do the right thing like the brother who owned the store did. Um, I'm scared to speak up when I hear things that are not appropriate. Well, then you're just as guilty. Yeah, like talk you to are me part about of the this. Problem. How did CP do it? And what do you think people need to know about that? CP grew a conscious. Mm-hmm. He grew. He had empathy. Mm-hmm. And that was because of Anne's unconditional love. Let me tell you, when CP needed help, his brothers didn't help him. Mm-hmm. That black woman did. Yeah, that's real. Saved his baby. Mm-hmm. And he felt safe mm-hmm. and loved. Mm-hmm. And that's what got to him, mm-hmm. right? The, the young man who owned the store, well, what is he afraid of? He's been to war and back twice. Mm-hmm. And that man, that, that black man that was his manager, mm-hmm. would lay down his life for him. Mm-hmm. So he has a, a different understanding, mm-hmm. right? And see, all of this... White nationalists, this, this, this hate, these crimes, it's out of their own fear. Mm-hmm. So if you can recognize that fear, then what is there to be afraid of? Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, is that, and I hate to say it like this because it's a fearful thing to say, but you know, back in the day, our ancestors, they, they would, they would die for the cause, black and white. That's what brought us here. People were willing to die for the cause. They got on that bus to go down to Alabama. They knew, they knew that they were risking their lives, but we were, our backs were pressed up against the walls and we had to do something. And, and it's, it's, it's sad because it's looking like we're getting to that place again. You know what I mean? And, and it's set up and designed for us to nitpick with each other when in fact we, we're the team. <laughs> we make the world go round. You know, it's like that. You ever seen that sketch? It's a meme going around, and it's like it, it was talking about the NFL players, but I'm thinking about just all citizens in general. And everybody's like bent over, and the game board is on their backs, and everybody, you know, the guys with the cigars, the ones that's making all the calls, they're playing the game. But if everybody stood up, game over. Yeah. That's us. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and we can't operate out of fear. I mean, it's easier said than done. And I preach this all the time. Of course, there are times I'm fearful. You know what I mean? Because we're human and nobody wants to any, want any pain, you know. But at the end of the day, when you understand, y'all, we are in spiritual warfare. It is that simple. And I mean, that's what life is. It's you got negative, you got positive. The light, the sunlight chases the dark. You got love, you got hate, you got a plus, you got minus. You know, that's, that's life. And every day as humans, I think we struggle. What side are we on? What side am I going to be on today? You know, and it's either faith or fear. They can't coexist. You either, you got to choose your side. And if you are a human walking around in faith and you believe in love, then that's inclusive. And if you see something, say something. We need each other. Like, I can sit up here. Me and Dominique could have had a passion to do this movie all along. But I'm going to tell you, it would not have happened without this man who right here who just happens to be white. And the the um, the, the man who, and I'm going to call him my brother. He's a white man, but in Filthy Rich, he showed me all his cars. But, <laughs> but listen, this is a privileged man who knows he's privileged. And he's out here being a blessing. Yeah. It's one thing to be privileged and keep it all and be selfish. And that's the problem. Everybody who has all of the money, they want to keep it. And that's not fair. It's enough for everybody. Yeah. And just because I want something or deserve something doesn't mean I, I'm going to take it from you. I just want a, le- a, a level playing ground. That's it. That doesn't mean you're going to lose anything if I gain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's fear. Fear is preaching that in these people's ears. I'm going to lose something. Well, I mean, if you got a hundred billion dollars lucrative cash, like, come on, dude. You ain't, you don't have enough lifetimes to run out of that money. Come on, spread that shit around. (laughs) We, but another thing, somebody said something the other day. They're celebrating the third person that made a hundred billion. We should be mad about that shit. Why is it just three men that got all this money? And whose backs were you on getting it? Yeah. It's ridiculous. I'm not celebrating that. That shit is unfair. Enough said. <laughs> Our Anne just took over a little bit. Somebody, Mr. Robin, did you want to add anything to that? Uh, I, I, that I, was, I don't know how you could, but you could try. Yeah, you could yeah. Try. No, I mean the only thing I would say is is fear is right, and there, there's a reason. You know, it's funny they talk about all this rhetoric now about flyover states and coastal elites. Hollywood, we all came from other parts of the country. You know, I'm from a little small town in Pennsylvania. But the truth is, they can talk about California being so progressive and, you know, let them, you know, secede from the union. Yeah, well, still 46% of people in California voted Republican. In in Texas, 46% of the people voted Democrat. I mean, we're not, you know, it's close. And there's a reason every city, yeah. And there's a reason that every city in the United States is is more forward thinking and liberal because we all live together, mm-hmm. all different colors. You know what I mean? It's people who haven't been to the city, who don't live with people of all different colors. That's what they're afraid of, right? They're afraid, even though those people aren't affecting their lives at all. Yep. 
So what are we talking about? Yep. Right? It's not brain surgery. We're all together here, like you said. Now, there's this thing this weekend, but, you know, San Francisco's pretty great. You know, and, and all these cities, you know. So anyway. Yeah, you know what I love what you did in the movie? It just hit me. When Ow. CP, yeah. right. That's why you, when you, you gotta see the movie several times. But when CP goes to the nursing home to see about his son and the black woman who is the act, the one who actually got the boy moved and he goes, she says, can I help you? You can't help me. Actually, she can. She Because the white the nurse That's didn't right. help. It was when Ann Atwater came and it was the verse. And the reverse, the white woman said, can I help you? She said, no, you can't. <laughs> and then the black nurse comes and that is how they got the baby moved to his own room. Yeah. See, the absurdity of who you think is really helping you. Right. That's it's just ridiculous. There we go. Yeah, and at the end, at um, at the end, you know who saves who saves CP again is Anne because no one was buying gas from him anymore. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Anne Atwater told her people, "It's come on down." And next thing you know, there's a whole line of cars which he could have had all this business. Which, by the way, his wife was telling him she could. Mm -hmm. You know, he could he could have been selling gas to the other half of Durham, and he didn't. And if it wasn't for Anne. You know who knows what would have happened and in his that brother's family? Brothers turned his back on, which is probably why they let her, they even wanted her to mm -hmm. eulogize him at his funeral because they know that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. I got a lot of questions here. Okay, I see. That's you see like a deck of cards. <laughs> Are we playing Uno? I got a lot of questions here. So, um, while I'm choosing a question, can we just do a quick thing because you know today is Diana Ross's birthday. Yeah, Woo! happy birthday! And in honor of Ms. Ross, I'm rocking our I'm Gonna yeah. Win yes. t-shirt. I tweeted about her today. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Okay. 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 <clears throat> this one's for you. Okay. I'm sure they're all for you. No. Yeah. <laughs> We've been through this once or twice. <laughs> all right. Um, this is from Kamaya Brown. Kamaya? Kamia. Hey. Kamia is a graduating senior at Wallenberg High School. Represent. Congratulations. So Kamia wants to know, was it hard for you to play Ann Atwater? And why? And uh, what message do you think this movie tells to students across the world? Um, Great question. I just think that the the message that it conveys to students is that um, the fight is not over. Um, be bold enough to speak your truth. Um, be bold enough to speak up for those who don't have a voice. Um, that's what I think the message is. Uh, was it hard to play Anne? Um, no, it wasn't. Once I did the research and we worked out the prosthetic suit and I, I was, you know, I love playing characters. Like literally that was a hiatus of mine that I totally gave up for this film because of the, of the importance of it. I went from Cookie to Proud Mary yes. to Anne Atwater and right back to Cookie within four months. So I, I really enjoy playing characters. So I'm not going to say it wasn't hard. It's challenging, you know, portraying people that really existed. But I really had fun with her. God, I felt powerful. Woo. <laughs> and you were. And you were. Hmm. I'm going to ask this one because I'm the moderator. And I can. 
This question is, when can we get a Black Lives Matter film? Write us. Well, first we need a script. Write a script. <laughs> whoever we wrote a really that, good script. Whoever wrote that or whoever's listening that has an idea, write a script. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you get the film. Gotta have a script. Write a script. Or even a, I'll even take a few pages with a really good idea. Yeah. Y'all heard that? Get to it. <laughs> what are you producing next? Nothing political at all. I'm producing a. I, we just blocked picture on a film called uh, Never Too Late. It's Mean Girls meets Golden Girls, and it's 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 a. We had a whole lot of fun doing it. It's um, Ellen Burstyn, uh, Jane Curtin, Loretta Devine, and Anne Margaret who play four BFFs trying to wiggle out of the nursing home, and they and one of them. <laughs> falls in it's not a nursing home it's a you know just a it's like assisted living an old and, folks and yeah and then don't they, call um, it old it's folks in, home. No, it's I mean senior living it's, it's a senior living it's it's a senior living it's a senior living community <laughs> and by the way it's based it's also based on a true story of my colleague's uh grandmother who went kicking and screaming to one of these places and wind up wound up meeting a guy at 85 and getting <laughs> married on valentine's day so yeah buddy <laughs> True story, and uh, and in this movie, her love interest is Jimmy Kahn and Christopher Lloyd. So that they, sounds it's great. A lot of fun. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> okay, Darlene Langston, where are you? Oh, she running! She running! She running! Ah, oh, here she comes! Darlene, here she comes. Darlene, <laughs> Darlene, girl, they was great. Pass your question up. It's Darlene. Okay, <laughs> check it out though, because Darlene had about nine questions. Oh God! Oh my gosh! That's why she was in the bathroom. Yeah. 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 <laughs> your timing is impeccable oh, today. Look at that. Excellent. Okay, so I'm going to read you all these questions. All right. Darlene was good. Darlene is in the 10th grade at Mission High School and is 16 years old. Give it up. Represent. Okay. What makes you so passionate about what you do? Yeah, you ask one at a time. Okay. My brain don't work like that. (laughs) Okay. What makes me passionate about what I do? I think um, what makes me passionate is that I know how powerful art is. And I know how art can touch and transform lives because it certainly has done that uh, for me. And I take my responsibility as an artist uh, very seriously. Nina Nina Simone said artists should reflect the times. And so that's what I try to do in my films. Number two. Number two. When did you first realize you wanted to be in shows and movies? Uh, I guess I kind of really knew when I... I kind of always wanted to do it as a kid, but I didn't really get serious about it until I uh, got into Howard University and I started going to the movies, seeing my peers in movies like, you can make real money off of this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did you push past the hardships that you faced? I use hate. <laughs> okay. I think I do. I do things out of spite. I'm gonna prove to you that you're wrong. I mean, I, 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 I talked to my therapist the other day. I was like, I don't know if that's healthy, <laughs> but uh, it certainly got me here. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> when was your first big break, and did you know that you would be as successful as you are today? I always knew that. Um, 
Let me see. Well, my first big break, I guess I would have to say, I don't know, it was so many false starts. I thought it was going to be Baby Boy. Then it wasn't. <laughs> uh thought it was going to be Hustle and Flow. Then it wasn't. I mean, you know what I mean? I had good, a though. few of those. Good, so. Yeah, I mean, that was a good one. <laughs> was that enough questions, Darlene? Okay, cool. <laughs> um, Can we ask you a cookie question? Sure. Cool. Do you ever... Okay, Mark Rhodes, where are you? Right here. Hi, Hi, Mark. Hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate this. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate this. Uh-oh. Do you ever run into or meet women that are like Cookie? Do you ever speak to them? Do you have any funny stories? <laughs> I... I they always run into me and they always like to tell me how they're the original cookie. And I don't argue. I go, okay, you got it. I don't argue with him. <laughs> fair, fair enough. So Mark cookie doesn't argue with the cookie. So I just, <laughs> <laughs> you were the original. I bow down. <laughs> Mark no better doesn't. <laughs> Okay, we're moving on. Uh, <laughs> this is for all of you. What is your greatest professional achievement? Can we start with Dominique? So far, this film. So so proud of this film. Oh, yeah, professional. I had to wait. Wait, what's professional, not personal? But yeah, you could do personal too. You want to do personal? Well, they, they're related because I have three daughters, and to be able to show them this film, I just. And leave that for them and show them that they can. Because look at this woman, Ann Auerwater, um, what she was able to do. I, well, what better message can I leave them? Robin? For me, it was writing this script. Um, sorry, it's all about this movie for us. Um, because I produced other movies before. But, you know, your, your hands really aren't on the wheels as much. So I knew I'd be a good director. I, I knew I was always suited to it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure I could write, even though I started as a song and dance man and wrote Wait some songs. Wait a minute. Songs. You ain't told us all this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got moved to L.A. as a singer-songwriter. So I need to see pictures. Oh, Me too. I'll show you. It's online. Yeah, yeah it's online. So, um, so it was writing the script and then having people respond to it, but especially Ann Atwater liking it and Bill Riddick liking it and CP's family liking it. I mean, we talk about this, like having families and a true story, just having one that's behind you, but we're talking about a leader of the clans family being like, okay. Right. Right. And, and herself and her family and Bill Riddick. And I mean, that was, that was it for me. I mean, I'm so, I mean, the movie came out great with a lot of people in the hard work. It wasn't me. It takes a lot of people to shoot this movie in 29 days, but, uh, it was writing the script because I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know I could do that. Wow. So. I guess for me, um, definitely all the work that I've done, but the work has given me the attention to be able to launch a my foundation, um, and it's called the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation, named after my father, and our mission is to eradicate the stigma around mental illness in the black community yes. because we just don't talk about it. Yes. So for me, that's... My proudest moment in life. Can you tell us more? Tell us more about your foundation. I know this is a a big, like it's a cause that you're very passionate about. Tell us why, and tell us what the foundation does. Well, I um, my son and I suffered a couple traumas, tragic moments in my life. My his father was murdered when he was nine, and my 
dad died two years after that. And when you talk about raising a young black man without the male figures around, um, it was difficult. And it will, you know, when it was time to deal with this trauma, um, you know, I'm looking for someone for us to talk to and someone culturally competent. Mm -hmm. And especially for my son, because a lot of his things, issues he was having growing up as a young black man was racial. Mm -hmm. And so the, it was imperative that the person on the opposite side of the sofa made him feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, it doesn't necessarily mean that person has to be black. Mm -hmm. You just have to be culturally competent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we were having issues with finding that. Mm -hmm. And I called my best friend and she has had her issues. She's the executive uh, director of my foundation. And she has had a lifelong history of anxiety herself. So she understands. And we got to talking and she did the research and the numbers of the, the, the percentage of um, degrees that were going out to African Americans were like seven percent. Yeah, want to know why that is? Mm. Because it's taboo in our community. We don't talk about it. We're told to pray our problems away. Mm -hmm. We're demonized, or we um, uh, it's looked upon as a weakness, mm -hmm. you know. And I, I was in, I, I was hurt because you know we are generally we we have generations of trauma that we have never dealt with. That's right. It's like it's all on this big mountain and under a carpet and we're standing on it like everything's okay. And it's not. Mm -hmm. And so um, I made it my mission to at least put a face to it. Mm -hmm. So people, I feel like people trust me, you know. Yeah. And for me to be so bold to say, hey, I have problems and it's okay to not be okay. This world is tough. Mm -hmm. And for me to put a face on it, I think is starting the conversation. That's all I ever really wanted to initially do. But um, our mission is to deal with the recidivism in the prison systems. Um, we also have to um, get the babies uh, help in these schools, in these urban schools where they are coming home from traumatic experiences being expected to learn. Mm -hmm. um, I was a sub, and this is hits dear to me because this is, I was in it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not something I'm just talking about. Mm -hmm. I was a substitute teacher before I booked baby boy mm -hmm. and I chose to work with special ed children. And in my mind, I'm thinking physically disabled children, mm -hmm. you know, and I went to a couple schools like that. But then they sent me to a long term position in Crenshaw mm -hmm. and two things that broke my heart. I get to the school and they put me in a classroom, special ed, all black boys. Hold up. All of them can walk and talk. None of them are, you know, having problems tying their shoes. So I go, what's wrong with this picture? So then it's time to do the work. And I, you know, get the work I put on the table. This is their attitude. I can't do that. I'm special ed. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, how you right. can talk, you know? So I got frustrated. Then I started doing a little more research. Well, why are these boys, why are they called such a... Well, one kid was locked up the night before, got arrested because he was stealing food from 7-Eleven. Well, that's because his mother's on drugs and his father's in jail. We're expecting this baby to get himself dressed and come to school and learn. <laughs> like everything's okay. Mm -hmm. And then the kids, and finally I'm working with the kids, and, you know, they come up to me and they go, Oh, Miss Henson! It was a shootout last night. Look. <laughs> mm. And they're laughing 
pointing out bullet holes Mm -hmm. in the very building they're supposed to be learning in. What is wrong with that? There is nothing funny about that. There is nothing normal about that. Mm -hmm. And these kids are going to school trying to act normal and they're traumatized. So we're trying to get therapists, not counselors, not to take anything away from the counselors, but therapists who are trained and culturally competent to go into these schools and, and, and be able to pinpoint and say, this kid is coming from a traumatic situation. Let me get this child the help that they need, right? And we're also trying to give out scholarships, scholarships to young African-American children so they can, so we can stop this. It, I swear when it was, I was looking for a therapist, it was like looking for a purple unicorn with a pink horn. Okay. How can people support the foundation? Boris L. Henson Foundation.org. And any amount is great. $5. We don't care. But the money is going to great use. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) I didn't mean to take up all that time about that. That kind of puts us to shame, that one. She said, I didn't mean to take up the time. What are you? We're here. Okay. I'm going to read this question twice. It's a good question. Mm -hmm. What reality for you today do you hope is a movie about history in the future? Let me read it again. (laughs) Whose question is this? I need to celebrate you. This is a great question. (laughs) You need to write the movie. Hello. (laughs) What reality for you today do you hope is a movie about history in the future? Mm. <laughs> I mean, look, with so many. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. These last four years we've had to endure. How we found ourselves backsliding. <sighs> we are in a stuck backslidden position right now. <laughs> I need somebody to be so bold to shift it back in the drive. <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. about all the Ann Outwaters and that maybe can can kind of rise from beneath here because, you know, I think, you know, I, I, I talk about my kids, but they, you know, there's, they, they really didn't care about politics, like, wow, whatever. But now, all of a sudden, they do. You know, my 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 daughter researched every every single thing on the ballot and had a reason and got our whole all our neighbors and all of a sudden was telling us, you know, how to vote. Um, So Martin Luther King, I see a future where they you know, that hopefully these this generation, this girl who wrote the 10 questions, um, you know, that there's people like like you that really, you know, get get empowered. And then, you know, we have so many Ann Outwater type films that we're like, oh, my God, it's too many of these. Mm. You know, I, I, I really I re- and I know how that sounds, but I really, really hope that that's the case, because um, this generation that's coming up is the most the strongest I've ever seen. My generation was into partying, you know. Uh, this generation has, a, I think, has a little bit more, <laughs> has a little more head on their shoulders, and I'm, I can't wait to see what what this suppression of these last, hopefully, just four years um, is going to do to them. Let's see. Mm. Yeah. Taraji, you went to. I, I saw it. Uh, no, I was just saying. I just yeah. Well, yeah. 
Robin, please. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to reserve <laughs> the right to hold on that because I agree with Dominique about this generation. You know, look back in history at young people who've changed the world, right? Vietnam, right? It, and and the truth is, the older we get, it's harder to be idealistic, yeah. right? We got rent, we got mortgage, we got kids. People are less willing to risk. And you just it. get tired. Yeah, hey, yeah, you do. But you know, <laughs> you talk about fear. We're we're afraid to risk stuff. You know, we have priorities, and kids don't have all those things to risk, and it's super important. So. I think this is going to be an amazing time in history. There's so much hopelessness and angst right now, and I can't sleep because of it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us can't sleep. There's going to be somebody. There's a lot of heroes right now out there trying, a lot of great young people in government. But there's going to be a hero that comes out of this that's going to be – but the, I, I have a feeling we need there's them today because yeah. of the climate. I mean, is but, the Earth gonna be here? But, but it's so when, much. But, I know. But but when but when the history is written about this presidency and Donald Trump, there's gonna be somebody else next to it saying, "This is the person that took us to the next level." Hurry up! I know, but. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, I got to put this person on. If somebody's got a script, how do they get it to you? Don't, Don't give, give them that fake me. address, Dominique. Yep. She has a fake address. It, no. it was like 555. Five. <laughs> <laughs> there's a Astute Films. If you look up Astute Films, you'll, they'll, there's a, um, an email address, and you can send it through there. And I, I, like to, I, I always like to read um, so that I read almost everything I get. By the way, a piece of advice for whoever wrote that question. I trust Dominique in the student films, but register it with the WGA before you send it. Yeah. It's actually true. Because if you don't register it ahead of time and you send it to somebody in Hollywood, they can say, oh, I already have somebody just like this. Yeah. And then they redo it and you lost yourself. So. Mm-hmm. See? I just want to say one thing about that. <laughs> no, seriously. I was, a, I was an exec at Showtime for many years. I took pictures all the time. And I'll never forget this. It seems like when you have an idea... It like goes out in the ether, and all of a sudden, I, I I took pictures three times a day for five days a week. I had one day where I would just read, and then all of a sudden, I get five stories of the same the same subject. And the Tulsa race riots was the one that rings a bell. And Rock Dutton, you know, he was coming in with his whole team, and he was coming into pitch, and it was sad, and da da da. And I didn't know who he was going to bring in, but. Two days before, I got a great pitch about that very same thing, and he was so. It took him years before he forgave me, but I, you know, it just it just happened. So absolutely, register your stuff. It, it you definitely have to, but sometimes that really happens. It does. It does. Okay, we have a tradition here at Inforum. <clears throat> Y'all ready? <laughs> I'm like getting ready for it. Yeah, I'm not a good dancer. It's time for our last question. Oh, <laughs> so the tradition is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The tradition is to ask all of our speakers the following question. What is your 60-second idea to change the world? Taraji, let's hear it. Um, We just got to love more. We need more compassion. We need more empathy. And we need more understanding and love, unconditional. And love is the search for understanding. Mm. We need more of that. Thank you. Robin? Uh. You got, hard question. No. you got this. Ditto. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. Um, ah, boy. 
Uh, you know, it's just because we did this movie. But we should force ourselves and we should have a law in place that our senators and congressmen have to sit down at dinner one-on-one once a month and just talk about anything else other than issues. Huh. Just who they are uh-huh. from opposite parties. Uh-huh. That's what a charrette is. So you want a charrette with the current government? Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. And, by, and we can start with just the Senate. It's 100 people. Hundred people. Isn't that what they sort of supposed to do yeah. when they go to the? That's what I'm talking about. Okay. And then it bleeds into Twitter battles. Yeah. I'm gonna sit with that image of. Okay, Dominique. <laughs> okay, so I am a Diana Ross fan. Hey. So. Reach out and touch. Yes. That's what I want. I want everybody to reach out and touch somebody else that maybe doesn't look like you and. Give it a chance. I can't sing, but reach out. No, that was nice. Saying, you know what I'm singing. That was beautiful. And I really think that I, I, I know I get to be on Pollyanna sometimes, but really, I believe that if you reach out and, and just reach out to the other person, I, you know, if, if you smile at somebody instead of just walking straight through, it makes a difference. Mm. It makes a difference. Excellent. Can we give it up, y'all? Thank you so much to Taraji, Robin, Dominique for joining us tonight at Inform at the Commonwealth Club and for sharing Ann Atwater's story with us. Last thing, it's a fun movie too. It's entertaining. It's not just all medicine. You guys saw it though, right? Yeah. 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 Be sure to catch the movie. It's It's in theaters on April 5th, The Best of Enemies. I'm Alicia Garza with the Black Futures Lab. Have a good night. Thank you.